Okay, now I'm recording. Today is Tuesday, September 4th, 2018. Time for episode 61 of the Barnhart Podcast. It is awesome after the extended weekend. It is great to live in the United States where we set aside the Feast of St. Pius X as a national holiday. Isn't that isn't that spectacular? This confessional state uh, feels good. And, you know, right after coming quick on the heels of the of the Feast of St. Pius X, here we are on the 4th of September, which is, of course, the Feast of St. Faria, Virgin and Martyr. So let me be the first to wish you a happy feast day today as well. And on the first go around of this, when I forgot to hit record, I was completely confused by that. I've been a traditional Catholic my whole life. Like, who is St. Faria? And then it occurred to me, okay, you're just (laughs) pulling my leg. Okay. I, I, I learned a new one. That that's called a trad Catholic geek joke right there. So <laughs> you know you're a trad Catholic nerd if you make jokes about the Feast of Saint Feria. I'm sure I may have heard this once before, but I probably rolled my eyes and never committed to committed it to <laughs> Aw, <memory>. thanks. <laughs> oh such a slow news weekend too. I, I, I know, did I did nothing. see that okay, so the, the Diocese of Chicago is big and has many priests and so many priests, apparently, that they can send one out to the West Coast because he's too conservative to fit into their parishes and he gets kicked out of another parish here in, in Santa Monica. It's an open question whether or not he just has bad personal skills and financial skills or if he's actually too conservative. That's a developing story. On the other side of the country, they found two Chicago priests in a car on Miami Beach violating Commandment 6 and 9 at the same time. That is a... Oh, boo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. And this is probably going to be a content warning show. <laughs> yeah, right. Put out the cat for this one. Yeah, really. <laughs> I so, mean, I mean, isn't that isn't that sad? We're talking about just do it, doing a podcast that focuses on the Roman Catholic Church, and it basically at this point goes without saying that you have to give this a sexual content rating and and make sure people don't let their kids listen to it. Just discussing the current events in the Roman Catholic Church. But no, no, really, all of this, this has all happened before. This is nothing new. This is totally precedented. This too shall pass, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. You know, among programmers, there's a there's a game where, where you throw out a name and you have to guess, is it a is it a fictional character or is it a JavaScript library? And the programmers get this joke. And it's getting to the point now where we can we can uh, pull up a headline and say, is this from the Vice Blotter without giving names and identifications of, of, of uh, profession? Is this mm-hmm. from the Vice Blotter or is this actually Catholic news? Yeah, that's right. Is this is this a headline? Is this today's headline from Church Militant? Yeah, yeah. So, but it, it does go to. It's interesting that um, one of the one of the folks mentioned in in uh, uh, Archbishop Vigano's uh, testimony or, or letter. Is yeah. is um, you know Blaise Supich, and uh, he is of course the the local ordinary of all three of the priests mentioned here at the top. So, yeah, something's foul in Chicago. Well, I mean something's foul in Chicago all the time, but that's just my personal opinion. I don't I don't like the city, but ecclesiastically, there's also something very wrong going on there as well. Well, let's just go completely on the record here. I have been told and assured in no uncertain terms that Supich absolutely positively is a sodomite. And beyond that, that he is probably a full bo- full blown psychopath, um, but absolutely 100% told to me and confirmed 
um, yes, he is totally, totally, totally a sodomite. So don't even don't even question that. I mean, the vast majority of them are. Um, the other story about Supich that bears mentioning, um, and I think a lot of people are aware of this, but if there's anyone who isn't aware of this, especially trads, you need to know this. When he was out in, um, he was the Bishop of Rapid City, South Dakota, if I'm not mistaken. And this guy hates, hates God and his holy church so much and hates the right worship of God so much that he locked the, um, the diocesan trad parish out of their church over the triduum. And I, I can't remember what year it was. It was in the 2000s. Locked them out of their church over um, the triduum, which is Easter, you know, Holy Week and all that. And that those people had to have their triduum out on the sidewalk. They still did it. They they did the triduum on the sidewalk in front of their church because Supich um, had the thing padlocked and refused to let them inside of their church. Um, that is how much this man hates the right worship of God, the venerable right of Pius V. And, you know, the whole thing with um, what happened last Sunday, um, I posted on this during the Angelus Bergoglio basically declared war on us. He launched a new um, a new war word, basically a new a new pejorative. And that is ritualism. He's against ritualism and legalism. Well, he's ritualism. been on a roll because yesterday he was also talking about how silence. He's comparing himself to Jesus that he stands silent when accused. And it's like, oh, how blasphemous can you get? Jesus yep. was unjustly accused. He yep, wasn't exactly. rightfully accused of covering up for sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance. I mean, come on. You know, this guy is first he was having his minions declare him to be the the new and improved Jesus. Now he's saying it himself. And so now he's launched this new attack on ritualism. This is a new word in the in the Bergolian satanic lexicon. And what what could that possibly possibly mean other than us? I mean, you you can't accuse the vast 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 majority of Novus Ordo parishes of engaging in anything that could possibly be called ritualism pre precisely because they they just they refuse to follow any rubrics at all. Um, and they, they luxuriate in that. And that that's one of the hallmarks and cornerstones of the, no, the Novus Ordo is that you, you just make it so that there, I think somebody sat down and did a, a mathematical calculation of how many different, um, different ways with all of the quote unquote options that are available in the Novus Ordo, how many different ways you could, you could offer the Novus Ordo while still being completely licit in terms of the rubrics themselves. We're not talking about all of this extemporaneous yapping and yapping and yapping that goes on. We're talking about actually celebrating the Novus Ordo according to the rules and, and letter of, of the rubrics and the missile, how many possible variations there would be. And it's, it's, it's millions and millions and millions and millions. Well, my first um, thought is this sounds like a choose your own adventure book, but secondly, it sounds, I, I thought that the, the new missile among other things did away with the strict requirement to actually follow the rubrics in the old missile. 
you know, Father Z, and we'll get to him in a minute. He's he's fond of saying, "Read the black, do the red," or is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that yeah, way. Yeah. Read the black, do the red. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, because because rubric it's means do the red because rubrics means, means the stuff that you do, and rube is that's red. red. Yeah. There you go. But mm-hmm. but the point being, in the in the old mass, if the priest knowingly violates the rubrics, that's a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. It, this is serious stuff. I mean, this harkens back to the Old Testament. You know, the the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament. Jesus, well, God through it's Moses. It's perfect fulfillment, yeah. yeah. God through Moses laid down the liturgical law. It's in Leviticus. Um, so it's, you know, God gave us the liturgy in the Old Testament. Jesus mm-hmm. gave the apostles the liturgy in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the one day a year, I think in the the new, the, the Novus Ordo Jewish calendar, they call it the Day of Atonement. But mm-hmm. it was the it was the day the priest went behind the veil, and mm-hmm. there was a very st- very very strict set of rubrics he had to follow. And if he didn't follow everything to the letter, he was struck dead, mm-hmm. to the point that the priest would wear the vestments with bells all over. Which from the phrase, this is where we get the phrase with bells on. Uh, he's got bells all over, so that the people knew the the attendants knew if he was still moving, he was alive. He hadn't been struck dead. He hadn't made a mistake. And in case the bells go silent long enough. There was a rope around his foot so they could pull him back out because nobody can go back there except yep. for the priest one time a year. And if they try to go in and get him out, guess now, guess what? Now you got two bodies back there waiting for yeah. the next, the next uh, you know, uh, dispensation to get bodies out. So the rubric's a serious business. And, and to strike down the law in, in, in the missile that says you no longer have to follow these under pain of moral sin, who exactly do you think you're flipping off here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paul the six, we're looking at you. Exactly. Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's serious business and that's completely lost. Um, the, the, the story that I tell from my early days of conversion is, um, when I was still in the first year of having entered the church, um, and I was still going to Novus Ordo mass a a new priest was brought in who was born Catholic, then left the church, became an evangelical Protestant, then reverted, then went to seminary as a late vocation. What he started doing and what everyone thought was great and what the canon lawyer, Monsignor, former secretary to Cardinal Stafford, superstar priest of the Archdiocese of Denver, started doing, following after this priest, was started giving mini homilies before every reading. And then uh, by the time I stopped going, the last Novus Ordo Mass that I went to in that parish, there were six, there were six quote unquote homilies. There was a homily at the, the, obviously they always did the Hi, you know, hi, good morning, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for coming. That crap. Then there was the homily before the first reading. Then there was the homily before the second reading. Then there was the homily, um, the actual homily after the gospel. Then there was, there was another one. Let's see the homily. Oh, I know what it was. There was the homily during the great silence, <laughs> and this this always just blew my mind. So everybody's just received Holy Communion, or is in the, yeah, everyone has just received Holy Communion. 
all of the extraordinary monsters have taken all of the uh, chalices and and chiboria and everything back behind the you know back behind you know, it wasn't even an altar what, what would they call that so into the apse behind the where the altar was and they're all doing the ablution they're cleaning everything they're you know consuming consuming the precious blood wait lay people are doing this oh absolutely absolutely <sighs> Let's go back Absolutely. to the Old Testament for a minute, and, and when they are transporting the the Ark of the Covenant into the into the Holy Land, uh, uh, I was that, just that, thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, some chucklehead thinks, "Oh, I've got to you know hold it so it doesn't fall over because somebody momentarily tripped and he stuck struck dead oxen, for touching it." The oxen tripped. Remember, the oxen stumbled, and two guys, when the oxen stumbled, they reached out because they thought that the 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 beer that the ark of the covenant was was riding on being pulled by these oxen they thought it was destabilized and they thought that the the ark of the covenant was going to fall off so they they reflexively reached out and touched the ark of the covenant and they were struck dead and that's one of the things that before i converted that's one of those old testament stories that you look at and you read it and you just say what in the world is going on here you know but then you know, actually entering God's holy church and and understanding and having the church tell you, okay, this this is what this means and this is why that happened. You say, oh, okay, it all makes sense now. Oh yes, the extraordinary monsters would. <laughs> it was unbelievable. The ones the the ones that were given the precious blood would. You know, as soon as everyone was done, sometimes they would take it back. Some of them would take it back behind into the apse. Some of them would just stand there and just upend the thing and chug it and and just chug the precious blood right in front of everyone and then turn around and traips traips off back. Oh, yeah. And this is one of the most conservative, conservative Novus Ordo parishes in the most concerned, one of the most conservative archdioceses in the country. And this stuff is, and this stuff is going on. So during the great silence, this is just, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. It, you, all you can do is almost laugh at it during the great silence. Every Sunday, this priest would talk the whole time about the importance of the great silence, thereby completely eliminating the great silence and okay, he would I, do it every Sunday. I have to ask, not knowing the structure of the Novus Ordo mass, what is the great silence? Because there is nothing quite like that, or at least not by that name in the old mass. Um, it, it the analog to it is, um, after the reception, uh, during the, during the ablutions, basically that period during the ablutions when, you know, father is up on the altar you know, purifying, purifying the chalice, et cetera, et cetera. Between the communion and, and the post-communion. Uh, no, it's, it's before, it's before the communion verse in the low mass. Okay. You're right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. You're right. right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he purifies everything. Then when everything's purified and he puts the chalice veil back on the chalice and everything's squared away, then he goes over and says the communion verse. Yeah. So that's kind, that would be the analog of what this great silence is. And, you know, you're supposed to, this is the time when you're supposed to talk to Jesus and lift up everybody in prayer. And this is the, this is the most critical, this is the most critical few minutes of your week. The great silence is so incredibly, and he would talk through it every Sunday such that there was no great silence. 
unbelievable. So that's number five. And then there was a, you know, homily number six before the dismissal, obviously. So we're talking about six, by the time this is all, you know, said and done, six extemporaneous, extemporaneous homilies dirt every Sunday mass. It was just, it was, it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, completely wildly illicit. And it was just, it was the father so-and-so show. And there was no doubt about that. It was the father so-and-so show. You all are here to see me. This, I'm so fabulous. I'm so wonderful. Look at me, 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 me. And just the narcissism, the dripping, dripping narcissism of all of it. So, yeah, there you go. How did we get on this? The contradiction notwithstanding of talking during the Great Silence, it just strikes me as you have to name something in the Mass as the Great Silence. And in my mind, I'm thinking that is what Mass is supposed to be. Everyone is supposed to be there, shut up, heads down, on your knees, adoring God. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. But it just, when it's the father so-and-so show, when it's the father jazz hand show, man, the notion of silence, this is just, this is just incredible to people. Um, did I tell there, there's a story a while back, someone sent me an email, um, that they were Nova Sordo and they had paid for a requiem for one of their paid for a requiem. I mean, yeah, this is an obvious thing. You do a, you do a mass stipend and you have a requiem mass said, you know, traditionally on the anniversary of the of the death of the, of the person, whatever. Send me an and this email angry with the priest who celebrated the requiem because and apparently this person had not ever seen a an old mass requiem, a proper old mass requiem before. Absolutely livid, sending me this email. The priest never said my my parents' name out loud. I paid good money for that mass. And not one time, not one time did I ever hear the name of my parent mentioned. And I had to respond to this and say, um, yeah, this this isn't he wasn't he's not talking to you. He's talking to God. Your parents' name was absolutely mentioned. It's just that it's it's done at a whisper and you don't need to hear it because you're not the one that's being spoken to. The priest is speaking to God, not you. This isn't a show for you. This isn't something that is put on to make you feel good about yourself. The holy sacrifice of Calvary was offered for the repose of the soul of your parent. But, but, but that's not good enough. You have to, it has to be a show and, and it, you know, the priest has to be screaming out your parents name for your benefit so that you can feel good about it. And what you pay, I paid good money for that mass and my parents name was never even said. I mean, it's just unbelievable how narcissistic and deficient people are. And this isn't a bad person that I'm talking about. This is a good person. I mean, this is a person who had a mass, who had a mass offered for the repose of their soul of the dead parent. This is a, this is a good person who is so wildly malformed by the Novus Ordo church or what we can now, you know, before it was a really touchy thing to refer to this as the anti-church, but we're, we're there now. I mean, we can, we can start talking now about how, 
because the, the anti-church is completely manifesting and how it is true, as Father Linus Clovis says, that the, the anti-church is currently occupying the same liturgical, sacramental, and juridical space as the one true church, the one true church in terms of the institutional church, um, that those they, the anti-church is subsisting in the same, in those same spaces as the true church. And, but it's, oh, it's breaking off, man. It's breaking off fast. And we can, it's now to the point where we, we can start talking about this openly without any hesitation. Well, and you mentioned that this was a Novus Ordo Mass, and I don't know the analog in this case, but I know that in, in the old Mass, it is not uncommon that right before the priest begins the Mass, so he'll, he'll process in with the, the altar boys, genuflect, go set the, the chalice on the altar, make sure the missile is set correctly, come back down. Before he turns around the genuflect and start the Mass, he will announce if there is, you know, we're saying the, the Mass for the repose of the soul of Mrs. Smith today. So I've, I've, seen um, that, I've seen that done before. The Mass hasn't started yet. He's, he's cleared it. He's fine to say that. As soon as he kneels, turns around, genuflects, and begins the Mass, okay, now you follow the rubric start to finish. And with regard to all the homilies, I've seen three homilies at Mass before, and this is Old Mass, obviously, but it's before you start the Mass. So again, we haven't started yet, so it's not really part of the Mass. In the normal spot, right after the Gospel, and then after Mass is all over, and then, by the way, I've got something to, to share with you before you leave. Not quite the same thing, but that's the most verbose mm-hmm. I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even that should be discouraged. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, it just isn't the time or place. And I've seen, I've never seen the name of the deceased mentioned at a requiem. But what I have seen is that if you go to, for example, today is a feria, um, I have seen where if father is saying a certain votive mass that someone has, has, um, perhaps uh, given a stipend that a certain votive mass be said on an open day on a feria where there is no, you know, there is no um, trumping feast and you're, you, you have the ability to either say the mass of the Sunday before, or you have options that sometimes the priest will turn around, like you said, and right before he starts, um, he will say, this is, this is the votive mass of X, Y, Z. And that's it. That that's all he says. There's no discourse about anything. Nothing. And the other the other thing that bears mentioning is that um, during the week, where where I am, almost never does the priest give a homily during the week. Low mass is just, you know, gospel straight into the offertory or creed. If if the feast of the day says say the creed. Almost never do I see any sort of a homily during the week. So, but that that varies from from place to place, and and certainly the priest does have the option um, to say to have a little homily during the week, but it's rare. And generally, um, most people, most of the faithful, a lot of the faithful, especially for the morning mass. They don't want it because a lot of them have to get to work. And so they're, you know, they're on a schedule and they're ba- and they've, they've got built into their day that they're going to go to low mass. Low mass is going to last approximately 35 to 40 minutes. And so when father starts doing things like giving, giving a homily during the week at the morning mass, it's potentially messing with people's ability to get to work and so forth. Um, so which then subsequently messes with their ability to get to mass. Yeah, Exactly. So, yeah, if, if they feel like 
going to mass in the morning is going that they won't know if they're going to be late to work or not. Yeah, that can really drive people away. So it's kind of it's almost in a certain way kind of discouraged. I mean, people want they want to go to mass, not going to church to see the priest, not going to church to hear the priest talking anything outside of the context of the mass. And that's what so many people and especially Novus Ordo priests just very simply do not understand is that because the Novus Ordo is building up this cult of man, this Freemasonic dynamic of the cult of man, um, people today just simply cannot understand how it isn't about the personality of the priest. How can it not be all about us? How can it not be about, you know, the priest turning around, facing us, talking to us, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's the poverty of the whole thing. I've got nothing to add to that. Um, yeah. But I don't think this has anything to do with our notes. I mean, this is a nice little 24-minute uh, collection of tangents. Uh, it happens. <laughs> It happens because there's so much news to talk about and so many things that uh, just lead from one thing to the next. But uh, let's, I mentioned Father Z earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's get to his, uh, you know, um, he posted something earlier. Uh, this was Monday, I think, or some, maybe it was still Sunday. I forget which. Uh, Father, or not Father, uh, Pope, no, whatever you want to call him, the Junior Bishop in White uh, was doing the, the Angelus in St. Peter's Square, which is where he does it on Sundays and Wednesdays, apparently. And, uh, well, it's, it's the Angelus on Sundays and it's the, um, general, it's called the general audience on Wednesdays. Oh, I should know this, but I don't. Okay. It's the Angelus on Sunday. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Apparently this is something that, um, uh, Francis Bergoglio has done many, many times and just kind of goes through it, uh, autonomically and, um, no big deal to him. He just goes through it, says a few things, uh, stream of conscious, but apparently, uh, somebody with a good set of lungs decided to do out a, a Ricola. Uh, if you've ever seen the, 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 the commercial Ricola, somebody, uh-huh. somebody yelled Vigano to that theme. And what Father Z pointed out is, is that in the, the official video of the Sunday Angelus, um, Bergoglio stopped. He actually was rattled when, when this happened. I, there might be a little bit of traction to this whole Vigano thing, and that's not even counting the news we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Well, we're sure hoping. Um, and it was, it was just one person, um, a woman. How sad is that? I mean, how completely... Men, where are you? Where, how completely pathetic is that? That in the entire world, in the entire city of Rome, all the people that are there, all the Americans, all the Anglos that are there, all the tourists that are there, that there was exactly one person who thought it maybe a good idea to um, call to attention the fact that this this filth Bergoglio is now literally openly covering for boy raping, boy rapists. And, you know, I, everybody is who's listening to this has probably read my piece about how yeah, my information is that Bergoglio himself is a is a sodomite with connections to um, with connections to pederasts and and child prostitution and so forth. Um, yeah, what one person, one one voice. That's it. Be interesting to see if it happens again on Sunday, next Sunday, and I think a lot of people will be will be listening for this. Um, it's it's just. 
It's really pathetic. But as I posted and the, you know, when Father Z's post about it, he posts, which is good, he posts one of the official Vatican uh, uh, media sources, which, and what that gives you is it gives you a close-up camera view of Bergoglio himself. You can see his face and you can see his, his reactions and so forth. The version that I posted on my post about it is is better in terms of hearing the the heckler, for lack of a better word, because it's a tourist. It's a, it's somebody who's standing in the piazza who's a tourist. And, you know, anymore, if you look at videos of these events that go on, people are just living their lives through their screen. So almost I would say more than half of the people who are in the piazza have their phone or their iPad or, you know, their device of whatever kind out. And everybody's recording this stuff. Everybody's living their life through their, through their screen. So it came to me, it came across my transom. Here's this, here's this tourist video of this. And the person who's taking the tourist video is not too terribly far away from the heckler. So you can hear the heckler way better in the post that I have. And um, so, you know, it's interesting to hear, you know, in one, you hear the heckler very clearly in the, in the video that Father Z posts. You can still hear the heckler, but it's not nearly as clear. But you can hear I'm glad, the, the, the Ricola tone. You can hear that tone that the person is using. Um, and tone is just like a, a chant, a little chant melody. Um, so it's, it's almost exactly the same as the, as the Ricola jingle from those commercials, from those cough drops. Um, so if, if it happens again, you'll know what to listen for. You'll know what tone to listen for, even if you can't, you know, exactly make out what's being said. Um, that's the tone that the person's using. So, um, interesting to watch and hopefully, you know, everything, what do they say? A hurricane starts with. Uh, the mightiest hurricane starts with a butterfly flapping its wings somewhere, you know, that little disturbance of air then cascades out and this, that, and the other happens. And, you know, weeks later on the other side of the planet, there's a, there's a hurricane. So a butterfly flaps its wings in China and the China reference is interesting in the, in the history of China, they have had regime change revolts that started with one person speaking up, which parenthetically is why they crushed the Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. Uh, revolt so so thoroughly in 1989 and why uh, all the internet searches in china you cannot find anything about that but uh going back just in it was the 14th century with the avignon popes it was uh one woman saint catherine of siena who basically accused the pope to his face and said you need to get back to rome and she said a little more than that but um she won the day and she is canonized she's a doctor of the church Yep, absolutely. And as I've, I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, um, it bears mentioning that our beloved um, St. Vincent Ferrer, at exactly the same time, St. Vincent Ferrer was mistakenly backing the anti-pope and reiterating that those dynamics were completely different than this because it was purely a political question. It was purely a question of political succession and this, that, and the other. St. Vincent Ferrer mistakenly backed the wrong man, but St. Vincent Ferrer was so holy that he continued to perform miracles while he was mistakenly backing the anti-pope. So, uh, so St. Catherine was right and, and, and St. Vincent Ferrer was mistaken. 
of of all of the unbelievable Hollywood videos or Hollywood movies of superheroes with all the weird superhero abilities they have, the story of St. Vincent Ferrer is just absolutely beyond all of that. They, mm-hmm. they, it was said of him that it was a miracle if he went a day without working a miracle. Uh, he, he was, this is something he was doing. I forget from how early, but just as an, as a novice in, in the order, he was, he was working miracles in public and his, his, uh, masters, uh, told him don't do that anymore. Yeah. So he was out in public uh, or doing something out at, outside the, the monastery, uh, Dominican, I believe. So if the Dominicans call them monasteries or convents, I don't know. But uh, he was he was out in public and there was some construction project going on and somebody fell off the scaffold from a pretty high up uh, altitude, saw this guy who called out to Friar Vincent, maybe he was a friar at this point, I forget the, the, the de- that detail, but he said, Friar Vincent, help me. And he was conflicted. It's like, well, wait a minute, I have, I have an order of obedience. I can't. So he said, wait. And he ran back to the <laughs> to his superiors and the guy, meanwhile, is suspended midair. Yeah, and and he gets his superior and said, "This this man is is asking me for for help. Am I allowed to or not?" And by this point, the superiors are realizing we've got a huge spectacle on our hands. Is it, they said, "Go help." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and he's it. And it's not just physical miracles like that. He was also known from his preaching ability to walk into a a synagogue and preach the the gospel to to preach to preach the the faith to the Jews to the point that that entire synagogue converted and became a Catholic church. Oh yeah. That yeah. is ecumenism, by the way, that's the yeah, proper way right. to do ecumenism. It's yep. not, let's have a dialogue and encounter. No. About what? God's the truth and we have it and you don't, that's, you know, get in if you want to avoid hell. I mean, that's, that's, so, a, yeah. that's ecumenism. So we'll I just do don't do it very well. We'll do the talking and you do the listening and we will invite you to enter the one true church and, you know, just absolutely not interested in having any sort of quote unquote dialogue with error and error has no rights. So why, why in the world would you, would you want to have any, why would you want to converse with that? It's, it's errors, it's lies. You don't, you don't converse with that. You don't dialogue with it. You, you invite people to enter the church and, and that's it. I mean, there, the whole notion of ecumenism now is so utterly warped. And, you know, all of these priests that are so-called, quote unquote, ecumenists today, all these Novus Ordo priests, video after video after video of these guys on the Internet saying, you know, the only way to achieve world peace is through, you know, religious pl- pluralism and so forth. And you just look at that. And if, if those words come out of your mouth I'm sorry, but it's really hard at that point to make the argument that that person is Catholic. Really? Really? The only path to world peace is religious plurality? Religious pluralism? Or stated another way, it's religious liberty. And and you're two for three. We were talking about, we're just circling around a topic, by the way, which may end up being the the title here, circling around topics. But uh, we were discussing earlier today the history of the Society of St. Pius X and uh, Archbishop Lefebvre's uh, three objections to, to the, the overall thesis of, of Vatican II was false ecumenism, religious liberty, and collegiality. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we mentioned the collegiality item before is that the Pope is not the sovereign. He is one of the peers. His jurisdiction ends at the door. No, he's the sovereign. But, you know, try to convince the last four popes of that. Yeah, I mean, that's... Ratzinger's favorite Ratzinger's quote, my authority ends at that door. And that's, 
the fact that Ratzinger's notion of of what the papacy is that is one of the things that has gotten us into this mess where we now have an anti-pope. And I, I keep harping on this, but you, you, this is such an incredibly important point. And to me, it's so obvious and so clear what's going on, but I, I'm one of the only voices who's out there saying this. So you cannot fall for this argument that all of these trads are making whereby you have to you you pretty much have to in, basically destroy the entire notion of the papacy and the authority of the papacy the infallibly defined dogma of papal infallibility in order to continue to persist in this false premise that Bergoglio is in fact the vicar of Christ on earth the only way the only way you can hold in your brain that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ is if you completely and totally tear to the ground and then salt the earth upon which upon which burn it to ash and then salt the earth the notion of the papacy itself you have to attack the papacy um so i beg you be on the lookout for this and i mean you don't even in a sense you don't even really have to be on the lookout for this because it's 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 almost everywhere in the trad catholic blogosphere We've been wrong about the papacy. These people are papal positivists and hyper uber ultra montanists. And clearly, you know, anyone, anyone who who looks at Bergoglio, looks what he's at his actions, look what he said, look what look looks at what he's done and uses that data set to inform them about what. Bergoglio's identity and status is vis-a-vis the papacy is clearly just some pope worshiper. You have to be really careful about this because look what they're doing. I mean, Satan has just, this is one of Satan's most clever, it seems to me, chessboard positionings is that he now has trad. I mean, this is just unbelievable. He has trads almost all of the trad Catholics going on the internet almost every day and tearing down the papacy, tearing down the authority of the papacy, the supernatural protection, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's unbelievable. If you had told any of us six years ago today that this is what the situation would be, that you know, the, the convention in tradidom would be that you have to be tearing down the papacy. And anyone who says, who, who looks at, at, at an arch heretic, arch criminal like Bergoglio and says, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something is terribly wrong here. This this should not be possible if that man is in fact Peter. If that man is is Christ's vicar on earth, this is blowing all of Christ's promises out of the water. You, and you would now have trads looking at a person making that argument and saying, "You're just a you're just an ultramontanist. You're a pope worshipper." I mean, you couldn't write this. I, I don't is this in Malachi Martin? I don't even think this is in Malachi Martin, where trads themselves are tearing down the papacy. And trust me, trust me, no matter, unless there's supernatural intervention, wherever this goes from here, let's assume, let's assume that um, Pope Benedict 
has a massive stroke and dies and Bergoglio at exactly the same moment has a massive heart attack and dies. Okay, C is vacant. They call a conclave. You elect Pope Leo Fourteenth, which means a really, really, really orthodox Catholic pope and really strong. I promise you, from now until our Lord returns in glory, every single quote that all of these trads have made about, well, you're just worshiping the Pope and you're just a papal positivist and you're just putting way too much authority. He clearly doesn't have the kind of authority. We've been wrong about the nature of the papacy all along. Do you not think and do you not realize and do you not clearly see by looking at this chessboard that you have just put yourself in check by, in fact, not having the faith in our Lord's promises about the papacy, you're just handing the enemy basically the the temporary victory by allowing them, when we get a good holy pope, should that day come, to turn around and say, well, you people all said that the papacy doesn't have this authority. You all said that the pope clearly, that, that papal infallibility clearly isn't isn't true. Do you not realize that all of these sodomites and all of these apostates and arch heretics are going to use your own words against you relentlessly? You will be beaten with this cudgel until our Lord returns in glory. I mean, the damage is already done because this has been going on for years and years and years now. But it's just it's just stunning to me the lack of faith in our Lord and his words and his promises and the fact that people refuse to be informed by the history of the papacy, that even when you're talking about, you know, Alexander VI Borgia and, and horrible people like this who are living horrible private lives, um, does it not, I mean, we, we all knew these arguments up until just a few years ago, up until Bergoglio. Look at the history of the papacy. You know, you do have a bunch of scoundrels who who have been the vicar of Christ on earth, and yet none of them, not one, has done even even a fraction of what Bergoglio does every single day before about 9.30 a.m. And that's just all out the window. I mean, especially for all of us who are converts and who who really, who for a lot of people, the papacy is the last hurdle to get over. And so you look at this and you think about this and you look at the historical context. How in the world could an institution that's 2,000 years old, that's filled to the man with, with sinners, with fallen men, and some of them spectacularly fallen men, how in the world could this institution persist for 2,000 years without just flying off the rails the way, the way that's happening right now? Is, do you think that maybe our Lord's promises about the Petrine Sea and that he would pray for Peter and all of that, that supernatural protection w- w- would come and would persist? Um, do you think maybe that was, I don't know, true and that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was neither lying nor mistaken about all this and that all of the saints all of the saints up until they they've clearly all been mistaken about the papacy too they were all clearly papal positivist hyper uber ultra ultra montanist um etc cetera, etc cetera. they yeah they were all wrong 
we today, oh, we're, we're the enlightened ones. We're the, in the, all of us who have grown up in this absolutely fallen, deplorable culture, poisoned by the Novus Ordo, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, we, we're the smart ones. We're the ones who truly understand the papacy. And it's clear that the church for 2000 years has been wrong about this because we're, we're the ones who understand this. I'm sorry, but the arrogance, the arrogance in that, the conceit is just, is just stunning. So listen, be on the listen, on the lookout for all of this talk about tearing down the papacy and, and the other, the, other argument that goes hand in hand with that is, well, I don't want, I don't want Ratzinger back anyway. Well, it's, it's not up to you. It's not, it's not a matter of whether or not you want him back. He's Peter and there's, there's no wanting him back. That, that doesn't make any sense. You either are the vicar of Christ or you're not. Um, there's not, you don't drift out and then drift back in. Now, whether or not Ratzinger's exercising the office, that's a different question, but, and, and what you want what you want? You, does the divine providence have anything to do with this at all? Do we think that maybe God's thoughts are just ever so slightly above our thoughts? Well, and that there, maybe... there was one human in history, one pure human, whose, whose desires could actually move God. And what set her apart from all of creation and set her above all of the angels is the fact that despite all of the privileges she had, she had perfect humility and, and, uh, subjugation to God's will. Exactly. Yep. Another thought that occurs to me too is, is a saint for our times. So much so, I mean, not just because the, of the recent allegations of legalism and he's a patron of lawyers is, uh, St. Thomas More. Mm, mm. This is somebody who gave his life, to defend the supremacy of the Pope, of, of yep. the Bishop of Rome. And he did not like Clement VII. I mean, not that he would ever wish Clement VII to die on the spot and be replaced by somebody who was better, but he, wouldn't have, he would not have objected. Yeah. He wanted the church, you know, authentically reformed, not like Luther set off to do mm-hmm. without permission. To say that Clement VII and um, Thomas More were um, friends is, well, be a lie. They, yeah. they didn't, he, Thomas More didn't think highly of him. However, he did respect the fact that Clement VII was the Pope. And yeah. as such, he is the vicar of Christ on, on earth and all questions of who heads the church. It's him. I don't like him, but he's yep. got, he's, he's the Pope. He's the potato, yep. as you've said. Um, <laughs> you've got to go through him. And so, yes, we've got an absolute cluster bleep, as I said in my, in the last episode, uh, in, in Rome right now with who's leading the church. And even when uh, this is solved and somebody is, you know, that we all accept, uh, there's no questions about who's in charge. When that person is elected, let's have somebody real. And also, you know, all, all the people who've been arguing one way or the other, let's just have a little bit of humility here. We don't run the church. And thank God we don't run the church for the most part. And that, that, that reminds me of some stupid poll or website that was put out by LifeSite News, rate your bishop. Like who in the hell is qualified to rate their bishops? <laughs> they are bishops who are qualified to to opine on other bishops. I get the idea, but it's like having scientific laymen rate the quality of work being done at the Large Hadron Collider. I think there's one listener to the podcast who might be able to have an intelligent opinion on this. Yeah. 
and I've mentioned his questions before. Yeah. But uh, yeah, have a little I mean, bit of humility. It's, it's have a little bit of humility, think, and also realize that the mess of the church is our own damn fault. We get exactly. the leaders we deserve. Yep, Saint Saint John Eudes. Absolutely, we have we have what we deserve. We're getting what we deserve, and we have the Pope we deserve. And you know, my position is, of course, is that the Pope we deserve is Ratzinger, um, who's just walk, you know, dropped the ball, walk, walked away, made made this terrible tactical blunder. But he's he's still the Pope. And I think what what you're honing in on here with this whole. Oh, write your bishop. First of all, your bishop is never going to see anything that you write to him. Everything goes to the chancery. Nothing gets nothing gets in front of him. And then um, have we not yet learned the lesson that the the episcopacy, especially in the United States, is massively, massively infiltrated with sodomites at a far higher percentage rate than just the general priesthood. It's because, you know, you had a the Satanist, Joseph Bernadine, he was the gatekeeper of anyone who was elevated to the Episcopacy in the United States. It went through him. And then when he died in 96, his boys took over for him. One, one of the, it, it, it can almost be said that one of the requirements for becoming um, a bishop in the United States, and certainly a bishop that was, that was then, you know, put up the chain, meaning, you know, you start being the bishop of, of Dodge City, Kansas, or the auxiliary bishop of, who has an auxiliary bishop? Denver. Um, and then do you, do you get made bishop of a larger see? And then are you moved and you, are you made archbishop? And then do you eventually become cardinal archbishop of somewhere? In well, order heck, to be even one just of to get guy- into the seminaries in these dioceses. Say again? Just to get into the seminaries for these dioceses. No, yeah, yeah. Just to get into seminary, they had the lesbian witch nuns standing on the door standing at the door, and they were focused on making sure that a barosexuals who wanted who would say yes to, you know, female witch priestesses and all of this stuff. And also, also, um, you know, sodomite men who were who were uh, what are they called vocations directors? They were weeding out all heterosexuals too. But in terms of the episcopacy in the United States, you pretty much have to be in order to have a career that's that's moving upwards. You have to be almost at this point a sodomite. Um, those are the only ones that that get elevated. Um, well, even getting into the door for the seminaries. I mean, this was going back to the late '60s, early '70s. And again, something we were chatting about earlier today, going back to the historical origin of the Society of St. Pius X, it had nothing to do with running uh, parishes around the world. They had one pretty simple mission, and that was to train priests for ordination. That was it. Train priests and and ordain them. And then the the whole point of why Archbishop Lefebvre even started with this is he had a flock of bishops saying, please do it. We'll take every single priest you can get. So whether or not they were sent already, you know, pre-designated to be incarnated in a certain diocese or we'll take every free agent you can ordain, the idea was we don't like the crop coming into the in, into the seminaries now. We want real quality priests like they used to make. You go do that, Marcel, and we'll take every single one you can make. And when do you think the uh, that Rome had a problem with the Society of St. Pius X all of a sudden? 
uh, as soon as they started ordaining priests. Yeah, it was about three months before that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a huge point that I suspect that a lot of people out there are not aware of. And we super and I were just chatting about this before. And if I had been made aware of this, I'm, I'm sure I must have, I'm sure I must have read it. Cause you mentioned it in the, in the piece that you wrote, you know, an open letter to me years ago, but that was, that was 2011. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's years ago. It, did, it didn't stick in my mind. This, this is what you have to understand about the SSPX. It was not founded to be a cult of personality and enclosed, um, this enclosed group at all. It was not founded to be that. It was founded to generate priests who would then be, as Superner just said, free agents who would then go and essentially become, be recruited or be requested to be diocesan priests. It was not supposed to be this, um, what would you call it? This, this enclosed, um, society for, I mean, I mean, that's in the, that's in the title of it. The entire purpose of its founding was just to open the seminary or seminaries and train men how to be priests in the Roman Catholic church. And then off they would go anywhere, anywhere, that's it. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate that. They, they, you know, they ascribe falsely to Archbishop Lefebvre this notion that he was trying to start some cult of personality around himself, founded, you know, and we have so many examples of this, of these found, foundings of these modern orders with, you know, the Legionaries of Christ and Marcel Maciel being, being the ultimate example of this founded as cults of personality um, within terms of the Legion of Christ, specifically founded as a racketeering organization designed to get Maciel and the upper echelon of the leadership of the Legion of Christ um, money and sodomy. It, it was, it was, that's what it was founded for. That is it's. So when people talk about, well, you know, the, the Legion of Christ just needs, it needs to be refounded. Um, no, excuse me. It was founded as a criminal racketeering organization to acquire money and sodomy for the upper echelon. You, you want to refound? No, re means you go back to the beginning. Refound means you go back to the original, the original charism. It's charism is satanic criminality. You don't refound it. You suppress it, you burn it to the ground, and you salt the earth. Th that's it, period. The SSPX is almost exactly the opposite of that. It was founded as a contra cult of personality almost, specifically just to get priests out all over the world into the diocese who were properly formed, properly trained, and could offer the holy sacrifice and the rite of Pius V full stop. That's it. So the more, I mean, the more you look at it and the more you learn, it's one of those things where the more you learn, the better it gets. Whereas with so many things in life, the more you learn and the more you investigate, the worse it gets with the SSPX, the more you look, the better it gets in certain regards. So there you go. I'm glad you mentioned that. And we're continuing to circle around the target here. <laughs> Let's drop the bomb, baby. Let's drop the bomb. Hey, perfect. Cause I was about to say it's, it's almost like a specter gunship. <laughs> Which, if you're a military nerd, and there are a couple of military aviators listening, um, yeah, you know, what those, they circle around and just blow the crap out of the enemy. Uh, so there's another bomb about ready to drop. Um, somebody, I, I shared the link with you. Apparently, the Italian trads are, are all over this because, well, it's dropping in Italian first. There is a new bomb about to drop on the Vatican. Yep. Speaking of the Legion of Christ, um, Kevin Farrell, who is, where, where is he, Dallas? Is that what he is? 
or I have no, no idea. he's the one. He was Dallas, and now he's one of the dicastery for the family or whatever. Okay, total, total, total fag, total sodomite. Again, confirmed. This is the guy that was in the Legion of Christ, um, was high flying in the Legion of Christ until about 1984 when he left. Um, the, the reason that was given that he left the, the Legion, the official line, is that there were quote unquote philosophical differences. I don't know what that means. I, he, I assume that he probably um, got in with the sodomites in D.C., which would have been you know, Bernadine and all of that. Well, Bernadine was Chicago, but you know, the, the, the sodomites that were running the American church and still, still are, but you know, back in the eighties got in with them and they told him, look, we want you in and we want to, we want to send you up the ladder and we can't do it if you're in the Legion. So leave the Legion and then we'll, we'll throw, we'll send you up the ladder and you'll, you'll be a Cardinal eventually. So I assume that that's probably what happened. So Farrell leaves the Legion in 84. He's now, um, he's made a cardinal in the last consistory. So last consistory, who were the cardinals, the American cardinals that were made? Supich Tobin, who is the nighty night baby. Again, totally confirmed that he's a faggot. Totally confirmed that that tweet was to one of his sodomite partners. Um, so Supich, Fag, Tobin, Fag, and Farrell, Fag, ex-Legion Fag, okay? Um, and boy, there, there are victims. I, in fact, I had occasion just not too terribly long ago to talk to a person who had been in the Legion machine and was raped and chewed up and spit out like so much trash. And the first thing out of this guy's mouth was, Okay, we got Whirl. Next, it has to be Feral. It has to be Feral. And so, sure enough, news just breaking because the Italian it's it's breaking in the Italian press. This is getting this is getting traction in the Italian press, which is pleasantly surprising. Um, I sent the, the link out earlier today, hoping that somebody who is following I I imagine it's just Americans following my Twitter account at this point. But if there are anybody. If there are any people who who uh, know Italian who can translate this, by all means, please do that and email me or direct message me or something. My Italian only goes as far as understanding a few phrases in opera. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But the, the gist of it is, is that there is a dossier on Farrell with the CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which, again, that's the body that handles all abuse um, investigations and inquiries. Um and there is a dossier on Farrell in the CDF, and it's getting ready to drop. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And it looks like Farrell's going down, too. And remember, Farrell is the one who lived with McCarrick, lived with McCarrick for years. And I think he lived with Maciel, too. He was, Or he was at least, he was in the upper echelon of of the Legion. And we all know that in order to be in the upper echelon of the Legion, you had to be a psychopath and you had to be almost by definition, um, a sodomite fornicator, some whatever, you know, using your position for sex. And they're, they, they're all blackmailing each other and leveraging their knowledge of, of not just Maciel's deeds, but all of each other's deeds. I you know, keep saying it over and over and over again. This sodomite filth, their currency is blackmail, 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 blackmail. 
that's why you've got people on the left. You've got sodomites on the left, in the center, on the right, on the far right. And they, they'll protect each other. And up until now, they haven't been ratting each other out. And this mafia code of omerta, this, that, you know, the mafia's code of, of not ever saying anything, not squealing on anybody, that all holds because, precisely because, they can all just blackmail the crap out of each other. That's one of the things that not just in the context of the church, but in the context of, you know, secular, secular faggotry as well, one of the things that faggots get off on the most is having the ability to blackmail other fags and ha- feeling that sense of power. And it goes in both directions. And I've written, I've written about this. So the more powerful, usually the older, wealthier, whatever man, he feels a tremendous sense of power over the younger, less powerful man that he's engaging in sodomy with. But don't kid yourself. Who, who are these young men? Who are these 18-year-old twinks who are having, who are engaging in sodomitical acts with these disgusting, nasty old men? Who, what, what in the hell are these 18-year-old boys doing, you know, voluntarily engaging in sodomy with these disgusting, revolting, I mean, look at pictures of, who's the picture, what's the picture? of the guy Zubik is Zubik Z U B I K who was world's handpicked successor in I think Pittsburgh. So I posted a picture of this guy and he's just he's revolting. He's physically revolting. And apparently he just has all of the fellatio that he wants from young men, these young seminarians who who want to get their Episcopal knee pads, who want to get their, in terms of McCarrick, some of them want to get their cardinalatial knee pads. And are happy to do it. A lot of them are being sexually assaulted and or raped, but a lot of them are doing it voluntarily. Who in the hell are these guys? Why are they doing it? Because they then have blackmail power over powerful men, older men, um, rich men in the secular world, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about blackmail. It's about using other people. And so there are a lot of these fags running around in Rome both um, clerics and prelates and also laymen. There's a hell of a lot of lay fags in Rome running around, especially inside the Vatican. I've said this before, the Vatican museums need to be shut down because most of the male tour guides, especially English speaking tour guides in the Vatican museums are sodomites and they're in there and they're, they're, some of them are part of this Vatican bathhouse culture. Now, why, why think about that? You're a layman You've been a Vatican Museum tour guide for like 20 years, and you've got a list the length of your arm of curial prelates and cardinals that you've engaged in sodomy with. And you have this blackmail list as long as your arm. These people, these faggots, walk around Rome absolutely full of themselves, thinking they are super hot shit with the knowledge in their mind that they could at any time destroy these men. Hell, beyond that, they could destroy the institutional church. Can you imagine if one of these Vatican Museum, for example, tour guides published a list of all of the curial uh, prelates and clerics 
that that he had he had filleted over over the last 20 years the sense of power that these psychopathic demons get from this that that's what feeds them man i mean i i the sodomy the the act itself is like down the list the big rush for these demons is this notion that they have this power this power over other people that one man walking around saying, I, I could bring this whole damn thing to the ground. I could destroy the institutional church. All I'd have to do is call a press conference or make a blog post and say, in the last 20 years, I have filleted Cardinal so-and-so, Cardinal so-and-so, Cardinal so-and-so, Monsignor so-and-so, da 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 on and on and on and on and on. That's the rush that they get. You have to get your heads around this. It's all about blackmail. I have no idea what to add to that. Yeah, it's there's not much to add to that except to go pray the rosary or something. But that's the situation we're in. And that's why these people don't speak up and why this code of omerta has held for as long as it has. But as I've also written, when when the code of omerta breaks down, especially among sodomites, Nothing in this world is nastier than a fag. And when when these and we're seeing it now, when these guys start turning on each other, it's just going to be it's going to be a piranha feeding frenzy. And we're just at the very, very earliest days of this right now. Um, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. But, well, you know, I, let, let it happen. I've heard priests say that uh, we're not in the final chastisement, but we, we might be in a dress rehearsal for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're if, putting on the makeup and the false eyelashes. That's for sure. Yeah, no pun intended. But yeah. um, but if this is the if this is the dress rehearsal, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be bad. <laughs> it's gonna be really no wonder really the gospel bad. says that if the days weren't shortened, the elect would be would would be lost. And we already see it. I mean, you already see on comment threads on trad websites people saying this is it. I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm not stepping foot in the Catholic church ever again. This is what our Lord is talking about. Will I find any faith? Even trads are being scandalized out by this. And again, I think we made this point in a previous podcast very recently. If you allow yourself, if by your own lack of faith, you allow yourself to be scandalized out of the church, you're guilty for that. Now, yes, the, the people who scandalized you, they're going to be guilty of causing scandal. But remember, if, if it weren't your fault, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't be lost to hell, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it. This is another example of people not being able to think logically and mathematically. Wait a minute. Okay, so people are scandalized. They're lost to hell. No, wait. People aren't sent to hell for other people's sins, if, if something happens and it's not your fault and you're not culpable for it, then you can't be sent to hell for it. Therefore, what's, what, what, what would be scandalous in that? And you're going to stand at your particular judgment alone. And you're not going to be able to say, to have some damn faggot cardinal standing there next to you. And you can point to him and say, it's his fault. It's his fault. I left the church. It's his fault that I turned my back on you. It's his fault that I didn't have, uh, well, dropping the Protestant uh, term again, that I didn't have a personal relationship with you. And I didn't think this through. And I allowed myself to be, convinced that I, that you and your holy church were a lie, were not real, et cetera, et cetera. 
but it's it's his fault so you can't hold me to account for that oh no i'm sorry it is it is totally your fault and that's the point you will be lost to hell if you think the whole it's not my fault is going to work for you go back to the very first book in the bible and see how well that excuse worked for keeping adam in paradise exactly yep it was the woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> well, it is always the woman, but that it is another <laughs> podcast. Indeed. So yeah, don't, don't do not jump ship. Literally do not jump out of the bark of Peter. Don't do it. Yeah. I made a crude analogy about that. About You don't jump out of the airplane just because the pilot says something off color or something like that. It's, it's still, yeah, Peter had the better words. Where else are we going to find salvation? Where, where else would you go? And then the, the people, you know, and Rod Dreher is doing a great job in terms of reporting on this. But you have to understand about Dreher is that he he left, he jumped ship, and he went to the the Orthodox. So I'm sorry, I have no comprehension of this. So you're you're disturbed about Amoris Laetitia. You're disturbed about the attack on on marriage, about having the divorced and quote-unquote remarried receiving Holy Communion. Um, you're, you're upset about all these things and the ratification of contraception, blah, blah, blah. So I know what I'll do. I'll leave the one true church, which is clearly under demonic attack, and I should know better, and I'm going to go to the Orthodox who have had these problems for a hell of a long time now. So you're jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire, thinking that you're somehow getting closer to God by doing that. This is this is just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, no, the solution is not going to the Orthodox Church. It is absolutely not going to you know the East in terms of the East that is not in communion with Rome. Now, by all means, if you have if you have a Ukrainian Greek Catholic parish in town, and I've said this before, you have to go and you have to talk to them and you have to see. Because even, you know, the Yuki parishes can be very hit and miss. Some of them, you know, there are confessions heard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, everybody's solid. There are some of them that are just raging heretics. Now, the the consistency in terms of the higher higher quality level of the liturgy um, is it is almost universal across the board. There's, there's a few Eastern parishes in North America that have descended into kind of a Novus Ordo version of the divine liturgy. But for the vast majority of them, the, the liturgy still looks great. Um, most of it is in English. Um, it's not in church Slavonic, but it, it looks great. But you have to talk to them and make sure that you're not, you know, diving into a, a hive of heretics who, you know, deny this, deny that. Oh, no, you don't have to go to confession. We don't do that here. Oh, no, you're, all your sins are forgiven just by, just by approaching, just by approaching the lamb, just by approaching the chalice. All of your sins are forgiven. You don't have to go to confession. No, that's, that's a big, big red flag. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, if there's an Eastern church in communion with Rome, an Eastern Catholic church, Maronite, there's all kinds of Eastern, Eastern churches, but it has to be in communion with Rome. If it's outside of communion with Rome, you, you can't do this. You can't think that you can be like Rod Dreher and go Orthodox and you're not going to be held to account for that. You should know better. You should know better. 
especially if you're listening to this podcast, because I just told you, by golly, and women, we should always be listening to women on questions like this. Well, on, oh, on the topic of women being problems, I just saw something about uh, Eastern Orthodox priests. Now they're talking about divorce and remarriage now for the Eastern Orthodox priests. Yeah, for the priests. Priests can now have a, a, a quote-unquote second marriage. Um, don't you think that that's exactly what they're trying to drive towards in in the Roman Catholic Church? They want they want married priests. They want faggot priests. They want married faggot priests. Then they want all of these mar- quote-unquote married priests to be getting divorced and then remarried you know, courting and engaging in it. I mean, not that fags court, you know what I mean, but talking about, you know, heterosexual priests, female priests who are married, female priests who are dykes, who get married, get divorced. This is going to, if this is allowed to go to its logical conclusion, what people like James Martin and these, these filthy sodomites are pushing towards. It's what I just described. It's going to be an absolute free-for-all where animal, vegetable, mineral, married, divorced, dating, uh, the whole nine, absolutely, that's what it's all driving towards. And you've got to wise up. And you can see it. You can see it in the Eastern Orthodox already. They're just... You know, they're just ahead of the curve. You can see it in, in Anglicanism. One, I saw a remark today on the internet. Somebody left a comment somewhere that Anglicanism is, in fact, one of the most pernicious um, forms of, of heresy in that it is, it's trying to ape the one true church. I mean, high Anglicanism is trying to ape the closest, the one true church, which makes it one of the most one of the most vile forms of the heresy. I mean, you can't look at Anabaptists and say that Anabaptists are trying to pass themselves off as the one true church. I mean, they're they're not they're they're rejecting everything about the one true church. High church Anglicans, they're the ones who are trying to trick you. And there are people out there, including Father Hunnick, who are very, very confused about what what is licit and what's not licit and what's valid and what's not valid. And there's a lot of people out there who are halfway convinced that the that if it's a sufficiently high Anglican liturgy, that you know the Eucharist is actually confected. And so and no, 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 that's Pius the Twelfth settled this. Say again? I didn't Pius the Twelfth settle this, or was it Pius the Ninth who who yeah, made the Leo very the clear 13th. statement that their orders? Uh, one of the good popes. Yeah. One one of the um he, he made the made the statement that the, they don't have orders. They don't have orders. They deny. They deny five of the seven sacraments. The only sacraments that Anglicanism publicly teaches, openly teaches, are actually sacraments are baptism and Eucharist, and their Eucharist is by definition invalid. They deny that the other five sacraments are even sacraments. How, how can there be any confusion about whether or not this, this is in this church with a lowercase c is in any way in communion with with the one true church. I mean, it's just, it's absurd, but they all, they all get dazzled by high Anglican, high Anglican liturgy. Um, 
which still exists in places and existed, you know, all along through through the 19th and 20th century and so forth. Well, I mean, since since the 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 schism, um, very, very high, quote unquote, liturgies. And but, you know, if your base premise is false and you're denying five of the seven sacraments and you don't have orders. um, Yeah, just no, no way. Absolutely no way. But if you're a liturgical fetishist, it doesn't matter. Well, and that goes without saying that I think as the Anglicans in terms of confusion with regard to a lot of things, the joke for a while, this is early 2000s, late 90s, that why can't Anglicans play chess? They don't know the difference between a bishop and a queen. They were ordaining openly gay men. And I'm trying to find the reference. I'm sure somebody will send me the link on this one. I forget which pope it was. Maybe it was Leo XII or Leo XIII. But uh, there was a group of Anglicans visiting Rome. And, and, and uh, it may have been in the same session where he said, no, you don't have orders. Well, they said, well, can you give us a blessing? And he said, okay, fine. And seizing on the fact that, A, the Pope had a sense of humor, and B, that the Mm -hmm. Anglicans didn't understand Latin, he gave the blessing that is given over incense that basically says, may you be blessed, you who are about to be burned for the the glory of God. Yeah. (laughs) And and I I don't have it right at the tip of my tongue. It's something I used to have memorized once upon a time, but um, I'll see if I can find it between now and the show notes. There's another awesome story, and I think this is Pius XII who did this, is that apparently there's a, there's a quote-unquote Anglican diocese that covers all of Europe, you know, outside of the UK. There's a one huge Anglican diocese <laughs> that covers all of Europe, and whoever the quote-unquote archbishop of this European Anglican diocese was requested an audience with, I'm pretty sure it was Pius Twelfth, and Pius Twelfth receives the guy, walks in, and the guy walks in, and the first thing Pius Twelfth says, says to him is, I understand I'm a resident of your diocese, which is just so spectacularly cutting that uh, you, you just can't help but, but like Pius Twelfth just, just for that, just for that, fantastic. I understand I'm in your diocese. <laughs> <laughs> Who says Catholics don't have a sense of humor? Come on. Oh, totally have a sense of humor. And, uh, and a sense of, and and drink and and have parties and smoke things, although I don't smoke and do all kinds of and eat fabulous food and yeah, we have a good time. When it's not penitential season, yes. That's right. Uh we didn't even get to Bishop Stitka. Oh, he's oh, that poor guy. He's he's oh my goodness. I mean, it it's sad because he's clearly just not an intelligent man. Um he's a bishop, he's the bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh he has he has a Twitter account and oh goodness, oh, you you just read this guy's Twitter account and he's barely literate um and just dumber than a bag of wet mice. I mean, like bad to where you sit there and you look at how stupid this man is. And the first question that comes into your mind is how in the world did this man ever get, was he ever even considered to be elevated to the Episcopacy? And then you say, oh, right. 
mm, what have we just been talking about for the last, what, hour and a half now, Super Nerd and I? Um, this little problem with elevating men who are, shall we say, wildly morally compromised, and then it all kind of makes sense. But anyway, what, yesterday, day before yesterday, this imbecile is on Twitter, and he makes this tweet that about, you know, the church, the church never used Latin or something like this. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Anyway, everyone just jumps on him and says, what, did you go to seminary? What in the hell are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? And he starts, he starts calling people asses and haters. I mean, the guy is just an idiot. Apparently, I don't know, maybe someone in his staff, I don't know, or maybe just himself, looks at this Twitter thread where he's not only being stupid, but he's acting like a complete and total jackass and calling people names and everything, you know, like I'm doing right now, um, you know, calling people names, calling them haters, blah, 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 blah. And some someone or his own conscience says, uh-oh, this isn't good. I need to walk this back. So what does he do? What does he do? If you're stupid, if you're not terribly intelligent, and you've you've got a whole long string on Twitter that you need to make go away, and you're dumb, what do you do? Well, typically what people do is they protect their tweets first, or mm. they go back and delete everything they just did. Yeah, but if you're dumb, what do you do? Oh, <laughs> Like imbecile dumb. Oh, you say like, imbe- like slack jawed, mouth breathing, imbecile stupid. What do you do? Let's see if I can replicate the accent. Want me? I got hacked. I got hacked. There's a hacker up in here. It weren't me. Uh, I mean, and this guy is so stupid and so lacking in self awareness. And also, let it be said, such a facile liar. I mean, how. Think about this. This man is is a bishop of the Catholic Church, and in order to cover his own ass, he just tells an Anthony Weiner esque lie to the to the whole world, and then and then doubles down and just keeps going going. I was hacked. Uh, someone has taken over my account, and then he's he doesn't go. But he says, you know, when I have when I have time, I'll go back and I'll, I'll clean this up. But for now, all you need to know is that. All the tweets that are good, um, those are the ones that I wrote, and all the tweets that are bad, that those are the ones that the hacker wrote. It wasn't me. And you know, whatever. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my password because my account got hacked. Okay, I'm sorry. If your anything gets hacked, you shut the account down. You're you're notifying everybody. There, there's none of that. He just, oh, uh, I got hacked. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my password, and then you know when I have time, I'll go in and clean up all the hackers' tweets off of my thread. But you know, no bigs. Whenever whenever I have time, I'll go ahead and do that. This guy is that stupid. He's that stupid. And this is this is also the guy who the banner, the photographic banner on the top of his Twitter account is him sitting there with a um, about 11 year old boy sitting on his lap wearing his miter. I just now realized I'm blocked from following Bishop Sticka on Twitter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. And um, I, can I can I confess that it was in fact me who um, the that 
uh, that letter <laughs> that, that what, let me see, I've got it here right in front of me. September 3rd, Bishop Rick Sticka's Twitter account was hacked. Bishop Sticka is really smart and has a degree. I promise the bishop is not making this up. Signed, the boss of the Twitter company. Um, that was me. I did that. And I took a picture of it and sent it to Super Nerd and said, <laughs> go ahead and tweet this. because I'm pretty I mean, sure Jack Dorsey doesn't mind. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things that you can do is, is just ridicule these people. Um, maybe it will make this guy stop and think a little bit and maybe, you know, intense ridicule. We can, we can hope and pray that intense ridicule will make him stop and realize and get some self-awareness and make him realize that, you know, you're not, you're not fooling anyone here, bruh. I mean, it's obvious what you're, what you're doing here. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a false dream, but Probably. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to use one of my other eight Twitter accounts to tweet at him and say, hey, um, you're not fooling anyone, but that would just get blocked, too. I mean, obviously, yeah. they've added three or four more people to the staff there at that diocese to block people who say anything negative. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 sad. It's really, really pathetic. Um, but. Then again, you can't you can't just sit and say, well, poor thing, he's teetering on the precipice of mental retardation. Let's just leave him alone. No, this guy, this guy's a bishop. This guy's a bishop. Um, no, we need to get these guys purged out of there. And we need to, um, you know, get back to this sense of meritocracy. There was a time and one of the reasons why and it's so, it's almost impossible to comprehend this now there was a time when bishops and cardinals were respected and and had the authority and the gravitas that they had because in general not in total certainly but in general like with uh, for example we've talked about this before the judiciary in the united states the town judge was oftentimes the most respected man in town he was one of the most highly paid men in town because he had tremendous responsibility. He was an educated man. He had gravitas. He merited the respect that he had. And he also merited, in a certain sense, the, the pay package that he had and the style of life. Uh, oftentimes, you go into, into small-town America in the, in the middle U.S., and, there, uh, you know, in, in almost every town of any size or the county seat, for example, there's going to be a street in town that has the really nice old big homes that were built in the 19th and early 20th century, the big, beautiful homes. And almost always who lived in those homes? Judges, you know, um, it's kind of the same thing with with the episcopacy, the episcopacy and the office of cardinal, which they're called princes of the church. Used to be a meritocracy. Now we're in this not just inverse meritocracy, but you have to be, you know, an apostate sodomite sex pervert who's raping, raping lads and seminarians right and left in order to even get the position. So, we, you know, we're all so jaded by this, but it used to be a meritocracy and we need to get back to demanding that these things be meritocracies and saying, you know what, and this is especially true in the in the secular realm where, you know, the social justice warrior crap and quotas and affirmative action and all this garbage has just completely saturated the culture. We need to go back and start saying that there are people in this world who are less intelligent, 
far less intelligent. And people who are less intelligent should not be put in positions of authority. They should be doing menial work. That that's their that's their province in life. Somebody has to scrub the toilets at Burger King. And now I guess we should I should change that from Burger King to Starbucks now. Someone has to scrub the toilets at at Starbucks. Or be they in are, a Nike ad for calling the police pigs. Yeah, exactly. The Copernic thing. Oh my gosh. It's it be a loser. And that makes you be stupid, be a loser. And that makes you somehow virtuous. I mean, the, good, evil, evil, good, the, the whole inversion of everything. We're seeing it right now. So, yeah, when you've got a bishop like Sticka, who is just clearly incompetent, has no business being a bishop of the Catholic Church, none whatsoever, we have to start having these conversations about how, you know, barring supernatural intervention, how are we going to clean this up? How are we going to get these guys, even if, even if hypothetically speaking, let's, let's take um, a bishop who isn't a sodomite, okay? He's probably still a heretic, but let's just, let's just say he's not a sodomite, but he's dumber than a bag of hammers. You still, these people need to be removed. He's not fit. They're not fit. And, you know, this kind of we're going back and now I'm talking out of both sides of our mouth because we were talking earlier about how, you know, people, the whole notion of writing, writing letters to bishops and so forth and so on. But I don't I don't know if I'm if I'm talking about, you know, having a a lay uprising where bishops are drummed out just just for being stupid like Sticka. Um, The issue, the probably the the primary issue with Sticka is that he's. he's a heretic, you know, I mean, he's, he's in bed with these, with these sodomites and odds are, I mean, one could, one could lay fairly safe odds if we're going to talk that way about him being compromised himself. Why in the world else would someone who's that stupid be, be made a bishop? I mean, it, come on, come on. So yeah, it's, so there's the Bishop Rick Sticka thing and all, and any of you, and I think I've got quite an audience in Tennessee, any of you in, in the Diocese of Knoxville, good grief. My, my prayers are with you with, with, with that piece of work as your Bishop. I know there's a couple of listeners down there. Yeah. But, uh, it, it's, I guess that also goes to point out, it's not just the big high profile diocese like, uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco. It's even some of the not so high profile uh, places like Knoxville, Knoxville. Probably I mean, Biloxi, we go even smaller than that. Abilene, Texas. I mean, Do- Dodge City, Kansas. Don't don't the people in you know talking about my old stomping grounds? Don't the people in Ulysses, Kansas, or Scott City, Kansas, or Tribune, Kansas? Don't those people have a right to have the holy sacrifice of the Mass offered reverently with an Orthodox Catholic bishop? You know, in a town that's, of course they do. Of course they do. We can't forget about this. You know, and this is this goes to another mini rant that I have are all of these priests saying, I can't say anything because if I say anything, I'm going to get exiled. I'm going to get exiled to, you know, being the parish priest in in Tribune, Kansas. Well, What's what exactly would be the problem with that? Do you not believe that the offering of the holy sacrifice of the mass is is Calvary itself and that the entire host of heaven, the entire church triumphant is present at every offering of the holy sacrifice of the mass? And why do the people in Tribune, Kansas, 
Why, why do they not count? May, did it ever occur to you that there might be some little old woman in Tribune, Kansas, who has been praying the rosary every day, begging God Almighty, would you please send us a good, holy, Orthodox Catholic priest, much less one who would offer the holy sacrifice in the venerable rite of Pius V? This is uh, Father Rodriguez you're talking about, in a sense. He was yep. uh, in, in El Paso, and, and he uh, faced down the city council there over, I think, I don't, I don't even know if it was the, the I think it was the top topic of same-sex couples yep. and giving uh, domestic partnership uh, health care coverage to them. His bishop exiled him to the most remote, dust-ridden place he could find in the El Paso Diocese. Yep. And the people there, it was like God finally answered their prayers. That prayers. A good yep. priest was sent to them. It's like, hey, priests, there's probably somebody waiting for you that if you speak your conscience and, they, and you get exiled, it's going to be a huge answer to somebody's prayers. And if you get you know, you know, let's, let's roll the clock forward. Eventually anyone who really still believes in God is going to end up in prison. Uh, for all of us Catholics in prison, we're going to need the Catholic, we're going to need the priests to actually speak their conscience as well to get thrown in prison because we're going to need sacraments while we're in prison too. So don't put your conscience on the back burner here. It's total effeminacy. It's the total unwillingness to even, to even consider um, taking on or embracing something that would reduce your physical earthly pleasure, namely living in a sexy big city where you have all of this, you know, cultural decadence all around you and you can go out to eat and this, that, and the other, and you have all this culture around you. Um, you know, the thought of the, for these people of being exiled to any sort of a rural town where, you know, all there would really be for you to do is occasionally get invited to to dinner at a parishioner's home where you'd have to sit and talk to people who didn't have PhDs or even master's degrees. And heaven, heaven forfend that you'd have to sit and converse with people who were manual laborers or, you know, involved in agriculture or something like that. Um, How many of the 12 apostles had PhDs? Uh, that would be zero. And how many of them were manual laborers? I think most all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength there. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. Um, it's it, that snobbery that um, is, it isn't even clericalism. It's just this, it's just a snobbery and, and an intense effeminacy and an aversion to anything that reduces decadent worldly pleasure. And, oh, man. I mean, and how do, how do you how do you cultivate that in in priests today? I just I don't know. I don't know. Pray, pray the rosary. Turn off the air conditioner and kneel on the on the hard floor and pray your rosary. Yep. Amen. Well, you want to call it a podcast? We didn't even get to all our. I didn't even talk about the football season opening. I mean the the, the neo the neo paganism. I think yeah, I think was, you that should talk whole... about that because it's it's strike now while the iron is hot because this is the first you know the first week of September. I think you should talk about that. Yeah, farewell to the uh, to the fair weather uh, podcast listeners. We'll see you again in um, we'll see January for the college football fans and uh, February for the pro football fans. Yeah, it's, it's America. This is like our big sport for the international listeners. You know what we call football is what. what not what you guys call soccer or vice versa, but uh, it, it's pretty big here in the United States, and it's kind of stupid. And uh, you get brain damage if you play it, and apparently if you follow it too. Um, it, was, <laughs> it was more just tongue in cheek, more than anything else. But there is, you know, unfortunately, uh, the pro version of this is played on Sundays. Usually, uh, it, it will collide with 
Um, you know, there there is more liturgy and ceremony that goes into tailgating for a football yep. game than most Catholics see in their life. Yep, absolutely. They, won't, they one, won't sit through it at church because it's too boring, too esoteric, but they'll do all the stupid crap for the superstition of trying to help their team win because they have to light the charcoal just right. They have to find one fan from the other from the, from the other team and offer them a beer as a peace offering to have good luck for their team or whatever nonsense they do. Mm-hmm. That they take seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the main reasons why this whole um, Novus Ordo phenomenon of having the quote-unquote Sunday vigil mass on Saturday night and, you know, these Catholics are going to quote-unquote Sunday mass at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturdays one of the reasons why this this has come into existence and why it's been so thoroughly embraced by Americans is so they don't have to go to mass on Sunday so that they won't miss the football game and i for you international listeners this is this is the truth we're not we're not being i mean everyone knows this everyone understands this when it's football season the attendance at the early morning 7 a.m. masses for example increases so that well, I mean there's nothing wrong with that increases but it increases so that people can go to or watch generally watch on television football games which you know in the central US starts at like what the game starts at 11 in the central time zone, something yeah, like no, that. Noon Eastern, I think. Noon, okay. Noon in, so, but you have to watch the pregame show. You know, that's all part of the ritual, too. Um, jokes about people leaving mass on Sunday and there being a traffic jam, or first of all, People go to mass on Sunday morning, receive Holy Communion, and then from from the reception of, of Holy Communion, from the Eucharistic monster, sprint out of the church, out into the parking lot, into the car, out, so that they don't get caught in the traffic jam getting out of the parking lot of the church so that they can get home in time to watch the football. That, okay, totally serious. This is, a, this is a huge thing in in the States. Um and I saw, was it, was it you or it might have been somebody else? I just saw a comment in writing somewhere that the NFL especially, if you look at the way the players, and it's, it's also you know leaking into NCAA football, college football too, but especially in the NFL, the way they behave, the way they behave on the field, the, you know, you make, you make a good play, you make a good tackle, you score a touchdown and the, it's, it's a satanic prideful display, the beating of the chest, the strutting around it's just, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Just the pridefulness, you know, it's very rare anymore to see a touchdown scored, for example, and for the player to just, you know, hand, hand the ball to the referee and run back to the sideline. I mean, it's it's now getting to be where an intense part of the football culture are these displays of intense pride and narcissism. Um, for a beating. gift that was freely given to you by God that you cannot claim as your own. And many, many, many people, even with the assistance of pharmaceuticals, try to develop attributes that could get them into these games and can't do. And you claim that for yourself Mm -hmm. and you wonder why 
if that's the devotion people have to themselves over sports, why do we have the church we have now? And good Catholics fall into the, I mean, I'm air quotes here. Good Catholics fall yeah. into the, the this category as well. Yeah. And I mean, I used to, when I first moved to Denver, um, yeah, I mean, the, that was the era where the Denver Broncos is the end of John Elway's career. They won the Super Bowl in January of 98 and 99. And I had just moved to Denver and yeah, I would, I would go to games, you know, scalp tickets, go to, go to mile high stadium and, and watch games and so forth and participate. And just as things progressed and moved along, one of the things that I noticed and really, really started to bother me is that they would bring, they would bring football players in who let's say, for example, had previously been, you know, with Oakland Raiders or whatever. And these guys were criminals. I mean, they were, they were beating their girlfriends. Some of them are dealing drugs, um, you know, getting caught, uh, w with guns and nightclubs engaging in basically mafia activity, but you know, the beating of the girlfriends and so forth. And when the player was playing for another team, let's say the Oakland Raiders who are, you know, the enemies of the Denver Broncos, then he was a lousy, no good SOB. He's a criminal. He's no damn good. As soon as he was traded to the Broncos, He's one of the best, you know, he's one of the best fullbacks in the game, blah, 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 do, do, do. And, and now all of this girlfriend beating, drug dealing, this is all completely overlooked because he wears our, yellow, our orange and blue jersey. And so now because he wears the orange and blue shirt, now none of this stuff that he's beating the crap out of his girlfriend None of this matters. He's he's so great. Look at how many look at how many yards on how many carries. Look at his yards per carry. Look at how you know. Look at this. Look at that. He's so wonderful. And I'm just and the the rank hypocrisy of all of it in the true sense of the word hypocrisy, not the Bergolian sense. But it was just it, it's just sick. This tri the tribalism. And may I use that word tribalism very strongly to impart a sense of a of a, you know, a human culture that is just slightly above animal, you know, let me use that word to impart a sense of just a massive cultural inferiority. Okay. Um, it, it just, you just look at this and you say, why am I supporting this? Why am I watching this? Why am I consuming this? Why am I wasting my time on this? I would not want to be alone in a room with any of those guys. I would be without a gun. I wouldn't want to be alone in a room with any of them. Why am I, why am I consuming this? Um, and you talk and about, you talk about the Oakland Raiders as being bad and, and there, if you want to see hell on earth as a, or a preview of hell, yeah. do a Google image search for Oakland Raider fans. And I am yeah. not kidding. This is a preview of hell, but in terms of the actual player, I mean, Oakland Raider players are scared of Oakland Raider fans. It's that bad. But if you want to talk about, you know, criminal activity among, you know, the players themselves, there was a joke for a while, except it meant not have actually been a joke that, uh, the Cincinnati football team, that the Hamilton County parole officers had a, an extension office with the team because half of them were on parole. Yeah. Yeah. And then drug use. And I'm not talking about just steroids. I'm talking about, you know, pot, what I saw a statistic that like 90% of NFL players are regular users of marijuana and that more than half of them are 
have have gotten high before the game. So they're playing they're playing the game stoned basically. I don't I don't I've never had I've never even seen marijuana. I've seen the plant growing in a field, but I've never I've never even been around it. I don't understand how that would help you. Um, I can play. tell you that one. Say again. I can tell you that one. I, I've okay, I've okay. I've, I'm, I've never done marijuana in my life, but I've I've known some people who do, and they say that in terms of pain management, it oh. is more effective and less addictive than opiates. And back when I used to play college high school or college uh, or not high school, college no, pff, let me try that again. Back when I played high school basketball. I would mm. every once in a while take Tylenol before I started the game because to, to stop getting headaches or, or, or muscle aches or something halfway through the game. Uh. Um, that was rare, but every, every once in a while I had to do that. Mm-hmm. I guess if you were in a sport where literally every play you're having the, the body equivalent of being in a car crash, yeah, you're going to accumulate so much wear and tear to your body. You've got to have some less than legal pain, uh, pain management going on. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against sports, qua sports at all. And one of the things that I've said for years is what would go a long way to rehabilitating the game of American football is if they um, took all of the helmets and pads away. And people say, well, that's insane. Well, no, it's exactly the opposite. Because then what would, what would happen is that all of these uh, hits and tackles and so forth that are literally driving these men into being not only completely crippled by the time they're by the time they're 40 or 45, but all of the brain damage, all of that would stop if you didn't have any pads on and you didn't have and all you had was you, we've all seen the old time pictures of, you know, football being played 100 years ago where they aren't even wearing a helmet. They're wearing that leather cap thing, you know, if that's all those guys could wear, I promise you all of these car crash hits that are, that are going on. And eventually someone is going to get killed. Someone's going to, someone's going to get beheaded at some point that something is going to happen. And there's going to be some hit on somebody that is at exactly the right angle. And that is so hard that his head is going to come off. Well, I don't know um, about coming off, but it's it's in boxing. There have been a couple of cases where somebody takes a hit in the ring so hard it literally kills them. Well, it's, I, I it can see sever, that. Happening. It could sever the the spinal cord in, interiorly. Um, that's what killed Dale Earnhardt and his crash at the Daytona 500 all those years ago. Um, he hit the wall and he wasn't beheaded, but his spinal column was completely severed interiorly. Um, that could very easily, it's a miracle that it hasn't happened. I mean, there've been some paralysis, some guys that have ended up quadriplegic, um, but it's just a miracle that nobody's been, been killed in that way yet in the NFL. And one of the ways to, to return football to being an admirable kind of a sport, um, would be to take away all the pads and, and all the helmets. Or take take away the profit motive. I mean, I think there's what, 30 some teams. What if there are 300? And instead mm-hmm. of making $40 million a year, you could only make, I don't know, 35000 I mean, at that point, you could almost make more money as a, as a manager at Walmart. So yeah. what's, the, what's the advantage of, of, of being a of football player? Of killing yourself, at yeah. Yeah, at that point, it's the same profit motive as playing professional soccer in the United States. You're not going to have people from the time of five devoting themselves to being bigger, faster, stronger to the point that they could literally kill somebody just by hitting them at a full mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. The, that's that's one of the biggest differences in, in American football from now to a hundred years ago, is you didn't have people 
running 25 miles an hour, weighing 270 pounds, and smacking somebody. You had normal-sized humans running at normal speeds and running into them at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was sane. <laughs> um, so there, there's our football rant. I'm glad we did it. Someone has to say it. <laughs> well, you know, I had that on the notes, and I wasn't sure we were going to get to it, but hey, this this was fun. Uh, the email address uh, for the podcast, if you have feedback, comments, or you don't agree with the football rant, it's mm-hmm. podcast at barnhart.biz. And I'm sure part of this football rant, too, for people who are not in the United States, um, if you're in England, for example, I'm sure Premier League football, what you all call football and we call soccer, I'm sure half of that translates just fine. Well, uh, I think what they would relate to are there's two sports. There's rugby and then in I think in Ireland, but maybe throughout the UK, I don't know. There's a thing called hurling, which is r- really violent too. And I, I will, I will um, bring this up before one of the listeners does. They don't wear pads in uh, hurling or rugby, and you know, oftentimes there's bloodshed. Um, so it's not, it's not a complete. You know, taking the pads and the helmets away doesn't solve all the problems, but it it would go a long way. So yeah. And they also have cricket, which I've I've heard the joke that it was invented at Rugby England when somebody forgot to bring the ball and they all stood around the field and nothing happened. Nothing happened, yeah. <laughs> uh, masses for Anne's benefactors, getting back on topic here. Yes. <laughs> if you're hearing this podcast and whether you're laughing or not, there was a mass offered for all of Anne's benefactors today um, and all seven days of the week, plus a requiem every single week, even for Aretha Franklin. Um, yep. Respect. Um, so please pray for these priests. Uh, they are humans. They have to go to confession like us and they need our prayers. Uh, this podcast, just like all Barnhart podcasts is a production of super nerd media. If you found something of value in this or other episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information. And that's what Richard did via the PO box. And that's also what KD Lenore and Donald did via PayPal. Thank you very much for your support. And we'll be putting that to good use. Oh, by the way, um, mm-hmm. You had a request for people who know how to translate Spanish. We need- I've got, yeah, I've got one. I've got one who, um, a person who is fluent in Argentinian Spanish, but, you know, anyone else out there, especially um, if there are any Argentinians listening um, who have info or can make suggestions about who to contact you know, the trads in Buenos Aires, any, anything like that, um, because there's just a, an absolute dearth of reportage in the English-speaking world about Bergoglio, his antics down there. There are blogs and stuff, but, I mean, again, the whole we, we're going to have a podcast at some point or make a post about how, how to use search engines. It's one thing to use a search engine and be really good at using a search engine in your own language. I mean, I'm, I like to think that I'm pretty good with search engines in English. It's almost impossible to find stuff that's in another language because you don't know what to search for. You don't know what words to type in. You don't know what to be looking for. Or you don't know if you can trust the algorithm that translated the language. I mean, like what I, I, I know a little bit of Latin from being an opera fan, but what I, what I posted on Twitter saying, Hey, can anybody translate this? Uh, from you know, Onabamba, I can kind of figure that one out. I know it's not a dance, yeah. But yeah. Um, that that just because I know a little bit of opera, uh, opera Italian, and I have some some Latin from high school, I don't know how to translate Italian. So, um, yeah, there's there's a project we're kind of working on that uh, we're going to need some Spanish translators for. Yeah, and so and the other thing is is slang. I mean, 
do you do if I said to you, super nerd, can you give me the definition of a chutney ferret? What would you say? <laughs> uh, I was going to, I was trying to think of a good example between British English and American English. I mean, mm. Eng- England and the United States, two countries separated by the same language. Yes. Yep. And I would imagine it's probably similar, but different, exactly the same, only totally different uh, with, with all the Spanish speaking countries. Yeah, I mean, there's a word, there's a word for sodom, there's all kinds of slang for sodomites in the United States, and there's a completely different set of words in the UK. If you don't know what the slang is in Argentina, you see these words, you have no idea what it is. Even if you know what the slang is in Mexican or Puerto Rican Spanish, you have no idea what they're talking about in Argentinian Spanish, which is why you need to have an Argentinian, I don't think, it's not, it's not characterized, characterized as, a, as a separate dialect of Spanish, but it's different. It is different from Mexican and Puerto Rican Spanish. And if you're dealing with videos at all and you're listening to people speak, it's it sounds way different because it's very it's closer to the Spanish Spanish, the European Spanish Spanish, where there's lots of lisping th the 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 the. And if you're not used to that in terms of Spanish, then that throws you too. So um, yeah, any Argentinians out there that can help contact us let us know podcast at barnhart.biz for that one and yep. the matthew 1720 initiative i'll let you wrap on that one as always the matthew 1720 initiative is full fasting a 24-hour fast is what i'm doing twice a week um the attention is that anti-pope bergoglio this is my how i pray the intention that anti-pope pope bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and that the whole thing the whole Bergolian anti-papacy be nullified, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since he was validly elected in April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and eventually someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger repent of what he has done, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Any outcome less than that is massively suboptimal, especially exercise for all of us, especially um, the fate of anti-Pope Bergoglio's soul. You know, I had, I I just want to say something very quickly. I was at mass yesterday and it occurred to me while during the mass that even if Bergoglio is in fact the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. It occurred to me that even the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, because he is a human being, it is possible for even him to repent and be saved. And that 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 just struck me like a ton of bricks because I think there are a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute, Anne's talking out of both sides of her mouth. She, she claims that she strongly suspects that Bergoglio might could, or probably is the false prophet foreigner of the antichrist. But then she's praying for him to achieve the beatific, the beatific vision. That doesn't make any sense, but actually it does make sense. Go back and read the gospels. I mean, Jesus was, was trying to convert Judas right up into the end. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Even the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist could repent, die, die in a state of grace, and he'd have he'd have to have one hell of a long purgation. I think that goes without saying. Well, plus or minus the hell part, yes. Mm, mm. But he he could end up 
being saved. So it's not. I mean, and this is a testament to the infinite, the infinite mercy and the infinite power of our Lord's death on the cross that even the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist could be washed clean in the blood of the lamb. And so therefore, yes, we have to be praying for Bergoglio, even if he is the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, because it, it, even for him, as long as he lives, it isn't too late. And even though we're at an hour 55 minutes here, I need to make a temporal note about your, your title there, uh, the false runner, false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, which sounds yeah. like next up on stage is the Antichrist himself. The, the church proclaimed that, we, we mentioned the saint earlier, St. Vincent Ferrer, he is acclaimed as being the angel of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you read temporally through the, the book of the apocalypse or revelations, if you're part of the um, loyal opposition, then the angel of the apocalypse shows up pretty much at the end. But St. Vincent Ferrer was in the 14th century. Mm-hmm. How can that possibly be? Well, we're talking about God. God is outside of time. And so the, the mirrors or the, or the forerunners don't necessarily have to immediately proceed. So, yeah. Just because Bergoglio may legitimately end up being the false prophet forerunner doesn't mean we're going, we're not going to have a Pius the Thirteenth or a Leo the Fourteenth or awesome popes to come. Yes, and I think people are assuming that they will be um, they will be proximate or adjacent to one another because of John the Baptist and our Lord. But yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that the timeline and all of this is un, is unknown is completely unknown to us and in fact isn't there something in in the scriptures that says that anyone who claims that they know um, really doesn't and and probably shouldn't be listened to now on the other side our lord says you should know that you should be looking for and see the signs of the times but i think you know anyone who's who's you know setting specific dates you know things like that that's no that's not good that's not good we do not know and my goodness if you haven't learned this lesson by now we do not know how this is going to play out and it's going to be even more bizarre than any of us can possibly imagine and surprising and when when the resolution comes if we live to see it it's going to be so spectacular that none of us can even None of us would even dare dream about how good it's going to be when the resolution comes. So the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. So there, we just keep praying. And there's nothing wrong with taking taking the simplified Augustinian approach of love God and do what you will. You know, pray, grow in grace and virtue every day, and God will do what God's going to do when it's his schedule to do what he wants to do. And you just do what you're supposed to do for the time being. And whether you are a... Uh, remote player from afar, adding your prayers to the to the cause, or you end up being a cog in the wheel that makes everything change. That's up to God, not you. But yep. As yep. for now, we're up against a, almost a hard limit for two hours. Right. <laughs> so All right. At that point, I'm going to say we're done for now, and uh, until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless.